Greetings from St. Paul, as Jonathan said, I'm here in, in St. Louis in a place called the Upper Room. We have an upstairs floor here um, that we use. And we prayed just here this past Monday with a group of uh, city leaders for unity and saying specifically, Lord, bring us together. And we're seeing God's uh, churches on the south side that are coming together to look at crime prevention on the north side of racial reconciliation and him bringing city leaders together for unity. So I'm looking forward to follow up with what JT shared. I uh, I got a little nervous, Jonathan, when you put me after JT, because I'm not a really good speaker. And he, I'm telling you, he can bring it. He can bring it. I've been listening to him many times. And so uh, I brought a PowerPoint that will help a little bit. But uh, I trust the spirit of God to do the very rest. And I'm so thrilled to serve with JT. He's a gift to our community. And uh, we are incredibly, always feel so spoiled that of all the places God, have, God could have called him to, he's right here with us in St. Louis. So can I share my screen with you? Is that possible? Let's see if that works. And um, there we go. Looks like it will. What I'd like to do with you is talk about empowering love and how we can actually see this happen in our community. What is stopping us from that? So here's my first quote to you. If you know that you are valued, you will end up doing something right. I remember serving at a skate park. Uh, Jonathan mentioned I served in Southern Missouri and we managed a skate park for the city of Farmington. And there was a young girl who uh, was in with all the wrong kids, especially all the wrong boys. I remember talking to her and thinking, man, you just have no understanding how incredibly valued and beautiful you are. You're looking for some idiots <clears throat> to tell you what that looks like. If you know you are valued, you'll end up doing something right. And my goal with her was to tell her, hey, you, you're of incredible value. Uh, I've got four kids. I do the same thing with them. I think all of us as parents, we know that if our kids understand their value and their purpose, they're going to end up doing something right. Um, if you're married, you know <laughs> that a happy marriage consists of your spouse knowing that they're valued. If they don't know that, especially us guys need a reminder sometimes to keep showing that, you're going to have trouble. You'll end up doing something wrong if she doesn't know that. And I can go on and on. And Christ did that in heaven. In heaven, we will know that we are expensive or of great value, and we will end up doing something right. I love, JT, you mentioning the languages because it's right here in Revelations 5, 9 through 12. Here they are in front of the throne saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I would think that the heaven is going to be a little bit of a wow and a yeah. I think there's a wow because we're looking at God. We're going, wow, look what he did. Look how profound the sacrifice of the lamb is for us. And I think we'll look at one another and we say, yeah, <laughs> because I get to do it with you. I'm not alone. We're a team 
we're a body from every tribe and language and people and nation. I had the privilege of serving with YWAM around the world. I love diversity. I love that about St. Louis. There's so many languages here. There's something beautiful about us coming together. Then I looked as we passed this passage continues, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering thousands of thousands, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and might and glory and blessing. What a party that will be in heaven for us to worship him in this incredible way together. It makes me think of verses that say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And also 1 Peter 2 verse 4 where it says, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Could heaven's dream be ours? You say, oh, Marco, that sounds great. And JT just mentioned it too. We know this stuff, but we don't see it lived out. There is something lacking. And I think our culture will tell us with the big thing that's lacking in our culture and our understanding is that our value is not placed in what God tells about us. Our value is placed in ourselves, right? I believe in me, believe in yourself, we're told, which is a very scary thing because we're so broken. It tells us don't depend on the love of God. That's a scary dependent thing. Create your own value in your own works. And ever since childhood, you may have been praised for what you do, or we build it on our ethnicity or our performance or the money we have or the giftings or the abilities or the skills that we have. But the problem is that sooner or later, it all comes crashing down, like telling a little kid to build a big castle. But you'll see that it'll come crashing down eventually because it's too tall. We all deal with this incredible insecurity and knowing that we're not perfect, and therefore the ability to deal with that. And so we have two defense mechanisms for a lack of love, and I think those two things are very prevalent in the church today as well as they are in our culture. The first one is pride. We receive value by showing others how awesome I am. All I have to do is mention the word Facebook. <laughs> and you may realize we love to post our best and most glorious moments. We like to impress others or imagine two kids building a big tower, comparing it to each other and wondering whose stack is higher. The next defense mechanism that we have is the one of shame. It's the same with Facebook. Again, you may post a great post, but you may read a great post and feel ashamed. Oh, so-and-so has a better vacation or they have a better marriage or their kids are better behaved or Something's going on and it creates this shame. And so these things happen both in our hearts. There's a pride where we exalt ourselves above others and like to show off. And there is a shame that makes us hide and walk away from each other. If you know that you're valued, you may end up doing something very wrong. I mean, if you're looking at pride, if I could just probe a little, I may I would ask you, have you have you ever felt better when you've excelled more than others? A few yards better kept, your kids are better behaved, we have more money, 
Have you ever delighted in others' failures because they make you feel better? Or have you ever looked down on others, considered them beneath you? Or have you ever avoided people because they would be beneath you? And if you look at shame, you could ask the same thing. Have you ever silenced yourself because you didn't think you valued up to others? Maybe your contribution wasn't worth it. Or if you spoke up, maybe you're insecure. Is, is it any good at all? Or have you ever avoided people because they make you feel worthless and you perceive them better than you? Or have you ever hid from people? And so that's the bad news. <laughs> but here's the good news that Jesus Christ comes to us and has this prayer. And, and my theme today is the John 17 unity, that they may be one. Father, as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And we get this incredible picture of unity. I, I find it astonishing. You know, for me, living in a very individualistic culture, both in Europe, growing up in Holland and living in America, we don't get the together part. We get the individualistic, you know, dream big, go west, young man, <laughs> the American dream, do something with your life, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We get that, but we, we often miss the beauty of unity. And when you look at Jesus Christ, his total annihilation of himself to say, I am greater when I'm connected to the Father. I am more when I am connected to the Spirit. I do better when it's not about me. My life is all about pointing to them as the Spirit would do the same thing. My life is all about pointing to the Father and revealing his truth. And the Father is all about glorifying the Son and giving him authority. And the Son is all about obeying the Father. And there's this incredible dynamic. I'm looking at St. Louis and I'm thinking, man, what would happen if we get that? Well, we're like, yeah, there's a great importance in individual callings. God told Joshua to get up and go into the promised land. And he, he called Moses and he called the prophets. And there is an individual calling. Absolutely. And we need to believe in that. But then together, the people of God can do so much more. That is unbelievable. And so when Jesus understood that he was valued, that he understood the deep love of the Father, he was completely secure in who he was. Out of John 17, you in me and I in you, he ended up doing something right. And I in them, which is his love for us, so that we can join him to do something right for others, so that they may become perfectly one. The power, folks, of this comes from him. It's a deep abiding in him and Christ revolutionizing our lives. And I'm telling you, I need it. As a lead mission leader here in St. Louis, I need to understand that my understanding of unity and division and selfishness and my identity needs to be submitted to the powerful word of God that tells me I am so much better with others because my value is not in me or what I do. It's in what he's done for me and in his purpose. And he's called us to serve him together. So Jesus broke this power of sin through his humility when he came and when he sought us as his children. He came 
And humility, I believe, is such a key. John Piper says this, racial tensions are rife with pride. The pride of white supremacy, the pride of black power, the pride of intellectual analysis, the pride of anti-intellectual scorn, the pride of loud verbal attack, and the pride of despising silence, the pride that feels secure and the pride that masks fear. Where pride holds sway, there is no hope for the kind of listening and patience and understanding and openness to correction that relationships require. Imagine what race relations and race, racial controversies would look like if the participants were all dead to pride and deeply humble before God and each other. Imagine what our cities would look like. My prayer for 10 days is it's coming up here in St. Louis. Lord, visit us. May we be on our knees. We've been praying it for our, our leaders this Monday when we gathered here in the upper room. God, bring a sense of humility. And the more we humble ourselves, the more we see the love of God. And the more we want to pass it on to others. Can you imagine a white-hooded clansman, broken-hearted for his sin, humble and desperate for a savior? The two don't go together, do they? Can you imagine a broken sinner full of pride? It's not possible. Jesus also broke the power of shame through acceptance. He came to us and he loved us deeply. And so here will be, here will be my question to you. So I'm wrapping it up here and I'd love to uh, have a prayer with you for that. Do you know empowering love and i tell you i thought i did um when i when i was a 19 year old kid joining ywam with mercy ships docking in canada god met me and i went through a deep deep crisis where i realized i had no idea how much god loved me i was tied up in works <laughs> and i went through a deep depression where I was trying to find God and the only way he would speak to me is I would, if I would actually do nothing and humble myself. And I remember laying there in the bunk of my bed, the last place I wanted to be, I wanted to perform, I wanted to do something. And God says, as you relax and unwind, I just want you to know one thing. Do you know that I love you? I think when we are in heaven, <laughs> we'll see the blood of Christ and the power of his forgiveness we're gonna go, wow, I had no idea how deep and how far and how wide beauty is that through the Holy Spirit, we can experience that now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who suffered greatly and died in World War II said this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. Run to him, run to him, run to him and find each other. I think the second one is to pass it on. I love the story of Corey Ten Boom, my country, fellow country lady, I should say, who survived the concentration camps in World War II and was on a speaking tour talking about the forgiveness and love of God when she met a German soldier who came to her after her speech on forgiveness. 
And all excited, he stretched out his hand and said, Miss Corey, I'm so glad you came to Germany, to my town, to talk to me about forgiveness. And as he stretched out his hand to shake hers, to receive her forgiveness, she had an immediate flashback on the concentration camp days, how she entered into those places of, of shame and how the guards would look at her and mock her as they undressed her and took all her clothes off along with all the other women to give them their uniforms. And as she remembered his face in this flashback, the last thing she wanted to do was shake his hand. And she prayed a prayer and says, God help me, because I don't know how to do this. JT just mentioned how different we are, how difficult it is sometimes for us to connect. And in her story, she says, when I reached out my hand to shake his, that will moments that she felt the power of God flow through her. And I think there's something about receiving the love of God and passing it on that is so incredibly rich in our understanding. And I think lastly, I think the biggest challenge for us is to live on a mission to the world that we get to receive that love from God. Number one, we get to pass it on to each other and we live on a mission of love in the world. What's the greatest testimony by this? All men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I spoke with a senior member of St. Louis's government recently, and I asked him if there's anything you want the church, anything you could have the church do, what would it be? What could we address? And he says, would you help us figure out our racial tension? Just about everything I encounter in my job relates back to that issue. And it reminds me of the greatest calling that we have as a church is that if we show this love of God, man, it's powerful. <laughs> it's so simple. It's just being there. It's just loving one another. It, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It doesn't require a big degree. It's loving one another. It's appreciating one another. It's taking the time to do that. Mark Knoll in his race in American politics writing says, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Vinay Samuel says this, director of the Oxford Center for Religion and Public Life, the most serious thing is our image around the world, that evangelicals are soft on racial injustice. One sign and wonder, biblically speaking, that alone can prove the power of the gospel is that of reconciliation. Hindus and Muslims cannot duplicate the miracle of black and white together, of racial injustice being swept away by the power of the gospel. Our credibility is at stake. May God do that in our community. We have a calling, brothers and sisters. This is not an idea. This is not something some of us catch I think you can summarize the gospel in one word, reconciliation. He came, he died, he reconciles to himself, and now he says, go and show that to one another. So Jonathan, if it's all right, I just want to lead us in a prayer. 
and then turn it back to you. Father, we thank you that all we really did, JT and myself, Lord, is unpack the glorious love and mysteries of you. We worship you, Lord Jesus, as the one who came. Thank you for coming for me. A little Dutch boy that never thought he'd see anything else but Holland, and you've taken me around the nations. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for touching all those on this Zoom call. Thank you for having touched our lives. Thank you, Lord, for not being afraid of our messes, of our brokenness, of all the troubles. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and do an increasing, deeper work of unity. May your church show your love. I pray that for St. Louis, as we are black and white gathering together to plan these events in our city. But Lord, it's more than an event. This is your love. Would you rule and reign? Would you rule and reign through 10 days throughout the nations and throughout the world? Lord, I thank you for Jonathan Frizz and his leadership and his calling and Grant and all the others involved, Lord. Anoint them. Father, we pray that you would be glorified and seen, Lord, because with your blood, you purchased man from God, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Father, I pray that as we understand that we are valued, that we would end up doing something right, Lord, loving each other for the glory of your name, I pray in Jesus' name.